All right. Welcome back to the Popping Bubbles podcast. Uh, in these short series of videos, we are interviewing people who are going to be present at the 2023 Enactus World Cup in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Uh, we're talking to teams that will be representing their respective countries all over the globe. And today we have Rags or Ragaf from Australia. Is that correct? That's correct. Correct. Thank you, Stefan. So, so no, nice to be here. So thank you so much. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, so you're from which university exactly? I can uh, hear so you, yes, yes. You can hear me? Okay, great. It's uh, your, your, your breaking up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, so I'm from Monash University, so that's based in Melbourne, right at the bottom of, uh, of Australia. And what's like, what, what do they, is it like a kind of a general university or do they teach like specific, are they like focused on like engineering or what is it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very what general is their focus of the university there. Very general university. So no particular focus at Monash. Um, so it's one of the kind of main universities across Australia. There's a group of eight, um, which is like kind of the, the main eight universities, um, in Australia. So we're one of them. Um, no particular focus, but the kind of areas that Monash excels in is yeah, engineering, pharmaceutical science, um, and education. I think that's our, our three big ones that we sell. So, so what do you do? Which, what, what's, what's, what do you study at the moment? Yeah. So I study a double degree. Um, so I study law and I also study maths. Cool. And, and, and how did you get involved with Enactus then? I don't know if law and maths are instantly something I think about when I think about entrepreneurship. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah, good question. So I actually got involved with Enactus in a bit of a different way. So um, initially I heard about Enactus from my friends over at the University of Melbourne, so um, the other major university in the city of Melbourne, um, and they told me all about it and they were commerce students. Um, and it seemed something that was really exciting to me, particularly because some of the projects they were talking about had a science focus. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't have it at Monash. Um, so a few of my friends who were also keen on Enactus and were also interested in entrepreneurship uh, started an Enactus Monash branch up uh, a few years ago. So, um, yeah, I guess I got in, involved in it from hearing about it from my friends and their experiences and wanting to be involved in it in my own way. So. Uh, yeah, we got cracking and, and started our own our own team um, at Monash University. That that's uh, that's actually amazing. I think it's like um, here in the Netherlands, we have obviously we have more universities than that we have Enactuses. I just can't imagine what it would take to start an Enactus up from scratch. <laughs> um, but uh, you guys are thriving apparently because uh, you're going to the World Cup uh in october um maybe you can tell me something about the projects that you're that you're running at uh, at enactus manesh at the moment sure so uh essentially we have one primary project that we're focused on for the last couple of years um and we've also begun a second project um to get that project pipeline going so um our primary project is called circle um and that is all about solving the textile waste crisis so what we do is we get end of life uh, textile waste and we put it through a chemical process that turns it into um, a type of plastic called a bioplastic. Hmm. 
Interesting. Uh, okay, that's a lot, a lot to unpack there. Um, how, how did you even come up with the idea? Where, where, where did it come from? Is it like is textile waste a, a bigger problem in Australia than than elsewhere? Or yeah, so uh, essentially, it, it was a long journey to come to this particular solution. Uh, the reason we focus on textile waste is um, Australia is the second highest consumer of textiles in the world. Um, and we essentially have no recycling infrastructure to deal with textile waste at all. So in Europe and in other countries around the world, uh, you know, within Europe and, and also within the Americas, like they have recycling infrastructure um, to deal with textile waste or there's companies, you know, working on textile recycling. But in Australia, there was really nothing. And so it was a particular waste stream that we thought uh, really needed some some diligent effort and uh, and time to to dedicate towards it. So that's why we focus on textile waste. Essentially, through our research, we realized that because there's no infrastructure and no real players in the space, um, no other solution made sense other than to try and build a technology that recycles the textiles ourselves. Um, so. Yeah, we kind of started from there, reached out to a lot of universities, um, both with, you know uh, bodies within Monash, also uh, elsewhere and other universities across Australia, uh, and landed on um, initially trying to turn it into uh, a particular type of fibre. Um, we were working with our partner research body at Monash called the Biopre Institute, um, and then after a while, after a few iterations, landed on what we think is a is a truly groundbreaking product, which is um, our bioplastic product. So, uh, yeah, long road to get there, but essentially, it's we focused on textile waste because it's the one textile stream that, sorry, one waste stream that is by far the worst cap worst recovery rate in uh, in Australia, um, and realized that we we had to do something innovative to solve the problem. And then after a few iterations, landed on this bioplastic product um, through our research with with our um, partner bodies. Uh, that's that's amazing. I mean, that's that feels very like textbook. <laughs> you know, like you have a problem, you see an opportunity, and you you come up with an idea, and you iteratively improve on the idea until you reach something that's feasible. Um, I mean, that's really cool. I mean, I I I think in in the Netherlands we also see uh, projects like that. Um, but one of the things that always has really intrigued me about mostly the international projects is, is like you, how you tend to partner with other people, because, uh, in my personal experience, we were working, uh, on a project to reduce cigarette waste, like the, the filters. Right. And at one point in time, because nobody of us had like a chemical engineering background, uh, we ran into like this barrier, which was, um, that we didn't have the technical expertise. So I'm, I'm wondering, how do you, how did you guys come up with the idea to, to partner up? Yeah. Good. And how did you even find that partner to begin with? Yeah. Yeah. Great. That's a great question. So, um, I think in terms of partnering up, it's a, it's a function of the particular technology that we're dealing with. So, um, we wanted to pick a technology that doesn't necessarily need further technical advancement, but is really on that precipice from technical to commercial. Um, so there's only a few, I guess, semi like quasi technical questions that we need to answer in order for this technology to really be commercial, uh, like uh, we can commercialize it. Um, 
so with our, um, we kind of realized that with this technology, we needed not only access to lab space and equipment, but we also needed someone who's able to steer us in the right direction in terms of what particular um, parts of the technology we really need to focus on in order for that to become profitable and something that can scale. Um, and so that's really where our technical partners come in. Um, their technical expertise is uh, in kind of helping guide the, tip, the types of questions that we try and answer and the types of experiments we run. Um, but everything else in terms of the labs, the experiments, the results, the analysis, that's all done by our team. So, um, you know, with that in mind, that was only possible because of the type of technology that we t decided to focus on, which has already been proven in the literature. It's already been proven in the science, but it's really those those few key questions, which um, I'm happy to go into as well, um, that really are, are the needle movers in terms of making it commercializable. Um, and in terms of looking at partners, uh, we're really lucky that there's a few um, professors at Monash that are very, very interested in student uh, kind of projects and, and student entrepreneurship. So uh, we reached out to a bunch of professors that uh, we have heard have been interested and have, um, you know, tried to advance other student projects. Um, and with this particular professor, his name is Professor Garnier at um, the Biopre Institute, we reached out to him um, and he was very, very interested in what we were doing uh, and was able to provide us with a lab space and also a kind of PhD researcher um, to help guide our, our research and the kind of questions we were trying to answer. So, um, yeah, we were we were quite lucky in that Monash has some amazing researchers that are really really keen on student entrepreneurship and and uh, students getting out there and trying to trying to build something themselves. That's that's cool. I mean, you it's it's great when you can kind of like work together, right? I mean, I feel like a a potential pitfall for a lot of projects is trying to think you can reinvent the wheel all by yourself and not not seeking out help from people that have the actual relevant expertise that you need right yeah exactly right exactly right um yeah, yeah um, it's, it's almost impossible to do it by yourself so you gotta you gotta um work with the people who are willing to work with you and and uh, lean on them when when needed and, and so how long have you been personally involved in in uh in this project and with enactus yep so how many years uh we started the club at the beginning of 2021 so uh about two and a half years and and so i like two and a half years i don't know how it is in in australia but at least in the netherlands i know that two and a half years is quite a long tenure for a for an Enactus uh, member, because obviously you're studying and then maybe you move on or you graduate or whatever. Uh, so you've probably seen it all <laughs> in that time. So so what, what would you say are like some of your key takeaways from your time at Enactus and, and during the project? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Definitely a long tenure. Um, I've been sticking around for a while, uh, which, is, um, which is, has been great for me, a great experience. Um, I think a few key takeaways, uh, both with Enactus in general and also with um, starting projects, uh, I'd say one is really focusing on, an, in, on investing in your team. Um, I think a lot of kind of ambitious young students uh, really 
you know, want to speed things up and kind of do projects their own way. And if other people aren't involved or if other people don't exactly see the vision, um, they want to power on through. And while that, um, while that kind of sentiment is really, really valued because we want young, ambitious people in our team, uh, the, the key to success is investing in the team members, making them feel like they're along for the ride, um, advancing their skills, um, and then bringing everyone up to a really strong level because in that way, like you said, you can't do everything by yourself and you really need the team behind you. Um, and I think that's something that we really focused on at Enactus Monash and I think that's the reason why our project has um, had the success or the relative success that it has to this date because uh, while it sounds like a long time for me to be in a project for two and a half years, um, we actually have a few other members who have been in the project for two and a half years as well because um, they've been invested in the project, they develop their skills through the project, um, and there's always a new kind of challenge for them. So, yeah, I think it's really investing in the team, which is which is very, very important. Um, I think, secondly, a really key takeaway that I've realised is um, – we really want to be right as students. We want to be correct in what we're doing. Um, but I think with entrepreneurship, it's it's almost flipped in that your ideas, you almost want to prove them wrong um, as you're going along because every time your idea gets proven wrong, it's closer to finding the right solution. So um, when you're testing a new technology or testing a new business model or a particular feature or whatever it might be, you actually want to test it in a way that you're trying to prove it wrong because in that way, uh, you're really stress testing it to the extent that it will get tested out in the real world. Um, and then you can iterate on it, you know, develop it further, pivot, whatever it might be to find the, um, the, the real kind of uh, the diamond uh, project that you're looking after. So, uh, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say those are the two main things, investing in the team and trying to prove yourself wrong. And and I, I assume, like, I mean, it's paid off, clearly, because you guys are, are going to the World Cup and you won the National Exposition. But I, I, I assume that uh, that every year has its challenges. So so could you tell me something about the biggest challenges you've, you've faced this year and, and how what you did to overcome them practically? Yeah, Maybe so... an example or something like that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I think um, perhaps the biggest challenge for us was... Um, if we're talking about this full year, so from the last um, from the last World Cup to this one, was uh, we had to change the particular type of product we were creating because our lab testing essentially indicated to us that the product we were testing just didn't have the the particular mechanical properties and the structural properties that were needed for this to be become like a competitive product. Um, so once we realised that it was essentially like a big kind of team meeting where we had to decide on what we do further with this project. Do we keep on going down this route and trying to improve the properties, even though we know that's a far cry? Do we completely change our process and our technology and go for something else? Or do we kind of go back to the drawing board, salvage what we can and move on and, and see if there's any other opportunities that we've missed on the horizon? So, um, yeah, the, the real challenge there beyond the technical challenge, which is always going to be there with new innovation, the, the particular challenge was the team morale. You know, you've been working on a technology for such a long time. You've been in the lab. You've been doing all these experiments. And then you hit a point where you're like, we don't think we can advance this anymore. We don't think it makes sense. Um, and so I think 
particularly as the leaders of the project, the real challenge was uh, getting everyone aligned, making sure that we're all on the on the same mission, getting people excited about a particular pivot and trying something new, um, and really reframing it instead as instead of a roadblock, but like a, a new challenge that. Uh, that will help us learn and develop and, and get our project to the stage that it, it's at. So I think, yeah, the particular challenge was around that team morale and getting that excitement up. Um, but it was just a matter of, I guess, reframing and, and reminding everyone that true innovation takes its time. And this is this is not a roadblock, but it's almost something to be expected in trying to achieve something um, substantial. Um, and so, yeah, over time, we were able to kind of reunite the team, get everyone on track and, uh, and get them excited for this, for this new challenge. Um, and so, yeah, that was around about October last year. Um, and yeah, so, yeah because, of, because I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. So I was, yeah, just going to say around about October last year. And so, yeah, we, uh, we got everyone unified within the next few weeks and, and we're all good to go. Ah, that's that's great because I mean like that sounds really easy if you put it that way <laughs> like you just tell people that uh, that innovation is a process and everybody's back on board in no time I mean <laughs> I mean I, I feel like I've experienced it myself and I, I feel like that is probably one of the largest um, threats to to a program like Enactus is uh, because I, I'm wondering how you dealt with this obviously you're a student as well next to working at Enactus. Uh, I don't know if, if you if you were studying a lot uh, on the side, but I, I always feel like uh, when stuff starts to get hard, uh, the project starts to play second fiddle to your studies. And that really kind of uh, starts to become like a destructive loop <laughs> that really destroys productivity. Yeah, I mean, look, I think... Um... That's def that's definitely a, a challenge. A lot of the students that are in Enactus also are involved in kind of very challenging university degrees, um, and it's always a balancing act between committing to Enactus and committing to the project. Um, I think, and again, it probably sounds very straightforward, but it was really just being super honest about where our commitments lie with university and where our commitments lie with the project. So some people, like myself, were really, really committed to the project and were willing to um, take some time away from our studies um, and committed to the project, whereas other people had other goals that they were trying to achieve at university. And this project was, you know, a, a still a valuable commitment to them, but their main commitment was their, was their studies. And so with that understanding in mind, we were able to really get an idea of what type of commitment we can expect from each type of person throughout the semester um, and go from there. Um, but I think another thing is uh, just in terms of investing in the team, a lot of uh, our, like a lot of our main team that was working on this project are all really, really good friends. Um, and so even when we're not working on the project specifically or even when we're not studying in our own time, if we're just catching up for uh, you know lunch or breakfast or dinner or whatever it might be or even a couple of drinks on the weekend, we're still talking about the project. So it's almost something that never really escapes us. Um, so in that way, like the project kind of kept churning, at least the ideas kept churning in our heads um, because, yeah, we were, we were always together um, and uh, always, always had the project in the back of our minds. But, yeah, I think it was just making it really clear about those commitments so that when those things come up. It's not a, it's not a shock, but more of an expectation. 
I mean, it's it's great that you were able to facilitate those conversations and 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 you know play open card with everyone. I mean, I, I guess it's easier when you're friends as well, but uh, that definitely seems like the right way to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, I, I, and I think we're really lucky that the the particular team members we have um, were really honest about what they're willing to put in the project and what they're willing to not put in the project. Um, so again, we're just lucky to have a really good team, I guess, but, uh, yeah, it's just setting that, setting that standard as soon as people join. So as soon as someone joined the team, we would have kind of like a kickoff call with them to, un- to get their understanding of where exactly they want to be in the project, what types of things they want to be involved in. And then also a communication around what their expectations will be for the semester and, um, how that fits around their other commitments. So, I think it's just about starting it from scratch um, so that it's almost an expectation there that, yeah, you, you, you um, show us what you have and you show us what you you can commit to so that um, it kind of starts the, the tone um, immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's paid off because you guys are going to the world cup. So uh, are you excited for the world cup? Oh, uh, we are very, very excited. Um uh, for most of us, it's our first time going to the Netherlands. Um, so, yeah, look, we are super, super stoked. We've all been kind of planning our trips, uh, figuring out what we're going to do when we're in the Netherlands and in Europe as well. Um, so, look, we're we're incredibly, incredibly excited. Uh, we were actually lucky enough to head to the World Cup last year, so we have a bit of an expectation on uh, kind of how it will be involved. Uh, and you know what the different types of experiences will be like but we know every world cup is completely different and we're really really excited to see what the netherlands has in store for um for all the enactus teams and and so so i assume that preparing for the world cup is just another uh task on the task list so have how have you guys been preparing for uh, the upcoming world cup yeah, so uh, in terms of preparing for the World Cup, it's a bit of a balance between advancing the project in our usual project timelines and also hitting some key milestones that we really want to achieve before we um, reach the World Cup and present to the rest of the team. So we've been working closely with the Enactus Australia leadership um, team, so Selena, who's our CEO, and the rest of the board, um, to figure out you know what are the particular aspects of our project that... Um, we hope to hit in the next couple of months um, to really de- um, develop a strong pitch and uh, um, show the rest of the Enactus community what Australia can do. So, yeah, it's a bit of a mix in, you know, working personally with our team but also working with uh, the, the broader Enactus Australia network to, to get the ball rolling and, and achieve something great before the World Cup. Seems like uh, all of Australia is uniting to uh, bring it home. <laughs> yeah, look, it's it's great. It's great. We have really good, uh, really good support here. Okay, and um, obviously the the this year's um, theme for the Enactus World Cup is Thrive. So maybe you could tell me a little bit what Thrive means to you. Yeah, sure. Um, I think this might be a theme in what. I've talked about a little bit today, but I think Thrive is really, um, at least for me, goes beyond a personal definition and encapsulates the whole team. So, um, you know, thriving is about not only doing things that 
position you to thrive in whatever environment you're in, but also uh, is about bringing other people along to, uh, you know, really focus on their development and their well-being um, and their happiness and getting them to thrive alongside you. So I think I'm a strong believer that when the team's thriving, I'm thriving. Um, and so, yeah, it's a bit of a back and forth um, definition, I would say. So, yeah, thriving for me really means being in an incredible team with incredible people um, and trying to achieve something great together. Well said. Well said. I mean, I'm, I'm, um, obviously I asked this question to all guests that we're having and we're having one from every continent in, in, in the world. And it's very interesting to see the different definitions and it's going to be even more interesting to see him stitched together to really encapsulate what thrive means. Yeah. I, I, I can't wait. It'll be, uh, it'll be really, really interesting. All right. Well, Rags, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, this was the Popping Bubbles podcast, uh, our special episodes on the World Cup. Um, next time, I hope to see you together with my co-host, Lisa. Um, but for now, this was all. I want to thank uh, Anactus Monash for joining today and Rags, you specifically. Good luck at the World Cup. And um, yeah, I wish you the best. Thanks so much, Stefano. It was great to be here.